Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and on this episode, we are sitting down with drummer Dave Taylor of Color Tongues. Color Tongues are a modern pop rock act who bring a guitar-heavy math rock edge to their melodic and accessible sound. Before we get to my chat with Dave, we're going to listen to a snippet from the first single off of their latest release, Midnight Island. This is Control. James, thank you for having uh, a representative of Color Tongues back in the studio. Yeah. It's been a couple years. It has. Um, I think, uh, I know last time that some of the band members were here was 2019, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I wasn't here, though. It was uh, James, Graham, and Dan, everyone but me. And uh, and then the time before that was kind of when we were first starting out. So it's been, it's been, it's it's been, it's been a, you know, it's been a minute. Right? Yeah, a lot of things have happened since that last meeting that we had, for so, sure. Yeah, I mean, that, like, again, you know, if it's 2019, you know, obviously some significant uh, global events have hap- have transpired since then. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be back here. Um, you know, I'm uh, in, in an abundance of caution, still wearing a mask right now, but, you know, uh, to each their own, as they say. And here we are. Going to see live music again, yes, James. Playing going, shows again. Playing shows again. Yeah. Right. Um, I know, like both of our respective, uh, you know, outfits have been have been have been finally back on the scene. Right. So, like, what was your first show back, James? Since uh, since being able to play. Well, oh, okay. Since like, well, so that that's where the timeline gets fuzzy, though, because being able to play depends on what whether you mean like with full restrictions eased up or like that in-between period where people could sit at tables and right. you'd not have to wear masks at tables, but you had to like, whenever you're walking around, yeah, yeah, yeah. you had to wear a mask and like it was half capacity. Of course. Cause yeah. Okay. Let's go with <laughs> your, depends let, what you mean. <laughs> let's go with like, let's, let's go like, keep it simple. Your first show that you could play again at a venue with living people in front of you to enjoy your music. Living people in front of me. Uh, hmm. I would say it might have been. I'm probably. I'm probably missing a show, but I, I'll just go with a significant one. David Saband played a pair of shows at Victory Square Park in the summer of uh, 2021. Actually, August 2021. August 2020. So you, you're summertime, 2021. Yeah. Okay, an outdoor little, an outdoor little shindig. Yep. That's great. And uh, and now was that where like you could have there was there, there could be people kind of like sitting down like like 40 people max kind of thing. Was that- oh, it was well, it was in a public space in a in a park. So like. Barely anyone was wearing masks. There wasn't any like regulation attached to okay, it. Okay, got it. Um, so it was a very like it was a very DIY sort of thing. Were you wearing masks on stage? We weren't. How'd you feel? Feel uh, good? Uh, yeah. Well, I, at that point, I had had two doses so of the vaccine. So wait, two do- two doses of edibles or uh, the vaccine? <laughs> vaccine. Oh, got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Two doses of edibles. I wouldn't be able to play <laughs> on stage. It's, it's funny because I think I think our first show back. So we had done. Um, let me think here. Okay, yeah. So yeah, right. Live in front of people. That's that was that was mm-hmm. the question. Um, it was a parking lot uh, gig at, or no, it was a brewery. It was at um, Container Container Brewing uh, in East Van, kind of near Clark and some street Hastings, Clark and Hastings. They were running this series of like outdoor, you know. So you could, I think they had eighty capacity. And it was, it was, it was amazing. We hadn't, you know, it was, it felt good because we weren't, you know, we weren't inside. It was, you know, it was out, outdoors. Um, I th- want to say it was November of 2021. Anyways, that was our first, uh, or no, September, definitely September. That was our first time back and it felt really good. Um, we had, we didn't skip, we didn't like miss a beat with, with rehearsing because we kind of kept uh, playing together 
you know, with at times an abundance of caution over the last two years. But that was our first time actually being able to play in front of people again. And I, that's that moment. I'm like, I really miss this. You know, um, I just, you know, I, I'd forgotten how good that felt. And, and the audience too, like I forget the kind of energy that the musician and audience relationship, like how much of the, there's that transition or, or transfer of energy happening, you know, seeing people dancing to what you're producing on stage, just it's, there's nothing like it, you know, and whether that's music or theater, any kind of performance art, you know, you're, you're, you're in that moment, like kind of, you know, impacting someone in some way. And it's, oh, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful, you know, there's like a mutual exchange of electricity or whatever word you want to use between the performer and the audience. Yeah, no, abs- abs- absolutely. And I think, uh, and I, I think we, we need each other is the truth of it. You know, I think that there's some bands that uh, like you always you hear back about like the Rolling Stones were always touring and like always on the road, you know, mm-hmm. whereas the Beatles, you know, all things considered barely were. They were studio, you know, they were a studio band more so than a touring band. Uh, Rolling Stones kind of the opposite, you know, even though they're both producing, you know, you, you know, timeless uh, and extensive discographies. But it's, you know, I, as, you know, as, as my part in the band Color Tongues kind of oscillate between those two worlds. Like this, I love the studio environment. Um, it's where you can really detail and hone in on exactly the kind of sound you want to, you want to create. But then for me, that whole product is almost kind of worthless without that opportunity to actually deliver that um, in, in IRL, as the kids say, you know, and like actually play to a group of people. Um, and, and also the challenge that comes with, you know, you spend all this time to, to really create a sonic experience in your recorded material. Um, and it's not, it's not quite as like, as simple as just then going on stage and playing that exact same thing. There's, uh, you know, the, the, there's, it, it, it takes work and practice and trial and error to really capture the, the same effect as you want it. Um, when you're doing it live, like trying to trans transfer the studio to live, and it's funny because our our uh, earlier material, it uh, you know it it we we've evolved as as performers uh, as well as you know in, in studio musicians, and so it 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 used to be a lot much easier to to kind of seamlessly and effortlessly replicate the studio version into a live uh, in, into a live setting, and we 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 have to put more thought into it now because we put so much. Um, you know, into our latest album, Midnight Island. First plug, first plug of the session, James. Yeah, and we'll definitely <laughs> dive into the album a bit more. Would you say maybe some of the challenge with that transition of taking those songs that you've crafted into the studio and being able to uh, play them for people in the live setting, uh, did the challenge come from not being able to workshop some of those songs live? So, for example, uh, with the band I'm in, a lot of the songs that are going to wind up on the record that we're, we're currently working on, we have been incorporating into our live shows. So mm-hmm. we already know how to play them live for people. Yeah. So, you know, we've never, I don't think we've ever had a, there's never been a Color Tongue song that the first time it was performed live, that that ends up being the ultimate way that it gets, you know, that it, that it will get played again, say two months later in a live setting and certainly not when it's, you know, when it gets put down onto a record. And I think a big reason for that is, uh, I think certain things work well in a live show when you're sort of fueled by musicianship and energy um, that might actually might not translate when you go into a studio session. Uh, it, might, it might be too messy, actually, you know? Um, and so that's where we kind of actually worked with a producer for the first time for this album. Um, Matt D. Pomponio over at Echo Plant, that's where we kind of recorded and worked, uh, you know, we worked with him. And so we would do, like, we would send him the, the demos as the songs currently were. But then we would kind of, you know, he would highlight some some things. He'd be like, you know, it might, it might be as simple as like, like this this drum fill is just, it's too much. It's great, but it's just like, it's too much. Just maybe, maybe this, this space just needs a bit more time to breathe. And that's where it became more about, you know, putting a lot of thought into the composition, right? And that's what studio recording is, I guess. It's, it's you're composing. You want to make sure that, you know, not, not everything can be doing everything all at once, you know? So, you know, it, it's, 
it's where you know you have you have an idea of the song, but you kind of need to be willing to let it evolve a little bit. And I think that's the, that's a good a good producer will do that. You know, a good producer can sit down with you, offer ideas. Uh, you know, help kind of guide the band's vision to what the ultimate product they want to achieve is. And I think it's also important to be open to kind of new borderline crazy ideas to be introduced into the uh, into the the recording process. And and I guess kind of going back to your original question, so much of what we actually put on the album had been songs that we had, you know, we had been able to sort of play and workshop a lot. And so we had been able to, you know, watch them evolve before the pandemic hit. But then in many cases, the songwriting in the studio actually dictated how we would ultimately play that song live. So there are some songs that uh, like Control is a good example. Before we recorded Control, we played it very differently. Over the course of, you know, our couple weeks, you know, figuring it out and really being very intentional about what every instrument was going to do at each different part, the song actually transformed into a way that we had never actually performed it live, if that makes sense. So the, the, the current live version of Control is based on how we recorded it in studio, because it kind of took really breaking it down, tearing it apart and rebuilding it to get to that final product that we wanted. And then it was like, okay, so now we've got this, we've got this song now recorded. It's got more instruments than we actually have band members of. It's got synthesizer. We don't even have a synth player. Yet. How, yes. yet <laughs> how are we now going to create this into like the powerful live song that it, that it can and is? And so that's what, I'm, what, what I said about translating your studio version into the live version. That can be a that can be a challenge. In general, what was the recording process like considering it the LP took longer than planned to get completed for a variety of reasons? It was just iterative, I suppose. So we uh, you know, we we didn't do it all in one in one go. So I think our longest time in studio was probably nine days, kind of back to back. And that was a decent amount. Um we so in total okay the lp seven tracks i want to say we recorded it all over four different kind of sessions that ranged anywhere from three days to nine days so it was it 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 was over a pretty good and it was this is over about two years in terms of the process so we started i think every song with sort of a rough demo track that would kind of serve as our kind of anchor point and our, um, yeah, like our, our blueprint. And then we would always start with start with bass and drums. And then we would usually b- go into rhythm guitar plus vocals. Then we would get a lead guitar. And then we would just have fun. And so by that, I mean like, we would try to introduce like, you know, a, a bit, bit some extra percussion stuff. Um, the synthesizer, uh, we would then just sort of kind of start layering on kind of multiple guitars. And I wish I'm not the one to sort of speak to this part of things. Cause like as the drummer of the band, I am, uh, you know, I love that I get to show up and do all, I, I get to do all my hard work right in the beginning. And then I just get to sit back and enjoy. I love it. Uh, but so I can't speak to all the fancy weirdness that, that Maddie and James and Graham and Dan did with, you know, different effects pedals and like, yeah, they, they did, they did weird stuff. Like they would like, you know, take like a, it was like this little, little tiny amplifier that that was looked like um, uh, a cigarette pack. Do you know what this is? You heard of this thing? Is it a? There's a. I'm thinking of a tool, and I'm not sure if it's the same tool, but there's a tool that allows the you to vibrate the strings without actually having to touch the guitar. No, this is like weirder than that. It's oh, like okay. hey, Maddie would do something like Maddie would Maddie would be like, "Hey James, okay, put on this headphone and then uh, wrap this like copper spool around like this this like." nickel and then put it inside this like amplifier that has like a little little pocket and then and then eat a chip into a microphone uh, and then that sound was captured you know what i mean and then and then you used to some in some in some weird way sci-fi audio engineer gadgets exactly like maddie that, that, that's, that's the thing too and this is what i will say to my, my favorite type of producer or someone that's sort of helping you with your um sound is having someone that has this sort of very you know, encyclopedic knowledge of different, 
you know, uh, different sounds to draw from and just like creative avenues to make novel sounds, you know, make brand new stuff that's never been heard before. I, of course, had a chance to listen to the record a few times before having this conversation. And I noticed that's certainly uh, very polished, bright, and at times uh, quite pretty. In what ways has the band sound changed since your first release, uh, the Almost East EP? The sound is, I think, transformed quite a bit. Um, so it's hard, it's hard for me to like remember exactly kind of what we're going for with the Almost East EP. But, you know, if, if, our, if music kind of starts off with like an emotional exchange, let's say, how we were feeling... Um, you know, when writing this, the tracks for this new EP, or sorry, the new LP for Midnight Island, I think the term nostalgic would always kind of come up, you know? So I think, if you think about the, the ideas of like being a teenager or the ideas of, you know, memories where you kind of go to, to a place that felt safe, but also exciting, you know, exhilarating first time experiences. So that kind of cluster of almost like youthful emotion is an experience is sort of what the album was sort of capturing for us. And I think then by extension, those qualities of, yeah, kind of polished. I mean, the polish is a bit, bit aside because that's more about the production quality, but like the, the sort of bright, you know, that sort of optimistic, hopeful, that sort of, and that, that sort of drive that comes with that that's what was sort of our um guiding light or guiding point guiding light or just or expression mm. that it was that those things were was that was our expression of those like kind of that nostalgic you know youthful energy if that made any sense to you james i i think so and i'm gonna i'm gonna read into something a little bit here i was thinking about the album title and also that which is also the first song on the album uh, midnight island is that nostalgia tied to the idea of what is or where the Midnight Island is? So the, taking a bit a bit of a reach here, but I wanted so, to explore that a bit. So the, the 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 Midnight Island, and again, this is like where you know I can't I can't take uh, James, you know, sorry, not you, James, but James, James Chalice, Chalice, our principal kind of songwriter and lyricist. I can't put words in his mouth about exactly what the lyrics per se mean, but from an idea about like the midnight island is sort of a place right but it's sort of you know is it's is it is it an actual place maybe is it a metaphysical place absolutely so it's sort of this this kind of safe place this sort of this this bit of magic from your past that you maybe want to bring back into your present and into your future that's kind of what the midnight island is it's and the idea is like because one of the, the driving themes behind the whole album is nostalgia. It's different for everybody. But what we're hoping is that the music itself will help you tap into whatever that is for you, you know? So, it, and that's sort of a combination of the, so the lyrics, right? Without kind of go, you know, speaking on for James, but most of the music and the lyrics all have to do with, um, you know, human relations or like interpersonal relationships um, or your relationship to say a friend, to a lover, to a you know maybe a past lover, or to you know a family member, or to a place you're from. So it's it, there are all these sort of different stories of almost like you know intimate relationships. So that's kind of the the lyrical themes, but then the the musical themes again tap into that nostalgia. So. Even though some of these are some of the stories in the you know in the lyrics might be might be real might be fictional, but they draw on they all they definitely draw on real human experience. It's our kind of hope that when you're listening to Midnight Island, it's you're not just you're not tapping into our nostalgia, you're tapping into your own nostalgia, whatever that is. And I think how that sort of sonically translated for us is we do are for the first time introducing things like synthesizer. We're kind of bringing back a bit of that sort of 80s vibe um but you know but just just a nod to it we're not we're not going too hard into it but maybe that's because for a lot of us the 1980s is our nostalgia you know of the band in our with our like how old we are and in terms of the polishedness 
Yeah, we uh, we put a lot of effort into this into the recording process on this one, and so we 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 took our time. You know, we this was the first time that we didn't do our you know you know let's let's like crank out two two songs in one day. Like it was you know we we, we took our time to do it to give the production what we felt it deserved. Yeah, and the results certainly show uh, on the record. And what song off of Midnight Island means the most to you, and why? I think for me, <laughs> it's tough. So okay, again, it's James's James's words, but I've sort of internalized them to be my own version of his song. So well, you're explain. in the band, so I, I, I know, I know, but it's but to the point where it's like okay, so Ashgrove. I think Ashgrove is the most powerful song for me because so James, uh, this one I know is about James is singing about kind of where he grew up uh, in an area. It's near Brisbane, Australia. So Ashgrove was, you know, this, this sort of small, smaller kind of town. It's quite, I think it's small. I think I want to say it's like 15,000 people. And so that, that song is about like the stories of his sort of like his upbringing there, getting into trouble, discovering things for the first time. And so when, but when I listen to Ashgrove, and I play it, I'm thinking back to my own version of Ashgrove, which is where I'm from back like Thornhill, suburb outside Toronto. But it, so it, it lets me relive these sort of really kind of powerful you know, moments of my own upbringing where like this whole thing about like discovering things or doing, doing things for the first time. Your teenage years are amazing with that. It's like every day you have a first time experience. And again, like, I don't know, your first kiss or your first time, like, you know, getting high, you know, back, back when it was like really dangerous, you know, back in the, you know, I don't know how old we all are, but, you know, for me, it's like the year 2000, I smoked a joint for the first time. And that was like the most exciting, craziest thing I've ever done. Because it's bad. It was bad and it was illegal. And, and meanwhile, it's like, I actually just got like a little high, a little confused and like kind of stumbled around my very safe, you know, suburban neighborhood. But that kind of excitement was like, it, it was, it was so, it was palpable. Every, you know, going, even just like walking around the neighborhood, going from house party to house party, it was so exciting. It's like, oh, are we gonna have to run from cops tonight? Like, I don't know. Um, anyways, Ashgrove, when I play that and listen to it, even though, you know, it's, it starts off from James's experience growing up in Australia, but I've sort of like just reclaimed it to be my own experience growing up in Thornhill. And, and so, and then Ashgrove itself, just from a musical standpoint, like that thing slaps. Like it is, uh, I, I just love it. And playing it live, it is just, it's got such a driving beat. It's got, it's, it's got this beautiful guitar licks. And, I was going to say the guitar work is oh, it's a highlight for me on Ugh. that song. And, and, and I think, and I just, and I'm like, I'm just like enamored with, with what James delivers vocally on that song. You know, it was just one of these songs where, you know, heard it for the first time. It just gave me chills. And, you know, it's one of these it was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm listening to the song and I'm like, I'm surprised. I'm like, wait, this is my band? You know, I still get that feeling sometimes with this band. Imposter syndrome. Kind of, you yeah. know, we're just, we're just like grateful to be, you know, with this group of, of musicians and uh, that we have this like, I don't know, it's like collective, this, this collective energy and enthusiasm to, to, to continue making and playing this music. I made a point as well to listen back to the, the earlier stuff and I, I just noticed, especially in James's vocals, like there's been a noticeable improvement. Oh, I like hands down. And I think it's I think it's twofold. One is, you know, James takes, you know, James is a very, you know, he's a very he's a seasoned musician and he's a season he's a performer, you know, and he um, you know, and he treats his voice like any any instrument. It's one that you need to to keep in shape and you can you can improve on and get better with. Um and also it's it's again the the production of this album. Like James, you know, it was like getting that right take. Um, there's a lot of kind of double doubling up, uh, you know, on the vocals. Like I think that's the term you use, where you kind of you yeah, uh, like um, multi-tracking, where you record yeah. multiple tracks and then you layer them on top of one another. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but no, I think I think I, I I totally agree with you. I think that the music that we you know what what there was before and what there is now is. I think shows a very positive evolution, you know, in the, in the band's musicality. The record, of course, has been out for about a month now at this time of recording. What has the reception been like to the release? The reception's been um, 
pretty pretty awesome. Um, we we got some. I mean, yeah. So we got some really great kind of initial press uh, on release, um, and then we got picked up on uh, our, the first time we got on one of Spotify's editorial playlists. So that was awesome. Ooh, on the the Dream Pop playlist, which was fantastic. Yeah, because that's that was, one of those like big ones. That's like one of like the big like three hundred thousand like follower ones. So it was that that was that was a big deal. Um, Alan Cross from oh, wow. Alan Cross, he, like he name dropped you guys. Well, yeah, he featured us on. Um, so Alan Cross, like for 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 our you know for listeners out there um you know the ongoing history of new music on edge 102 in toronto he also has his also own, available as a podcast that's right yeah um he also has his own kind of uh called a journal of musical things and so um yep so that the part of the album got featured on that we also got our first little bit of commercial radio play which is super cool um matt berry over in uh in calgary i think uh, i think it's one of it's 91x um, anyway, so we, you know, uh, I think control got, got played there. Um, so, so we've had, we've had some like pretty cool accolades coming our way. Um, we also recently made, uh, like CBC searchlights top hundred with, uh, with control. Yeah. So it's, it's, the reception has been great. Um, we've definitely seen like, you know, good uptake in our streaming, uh, you know, all that, all that jazz and yeah, it's been it's been good. And it's still coming through. I think I'm surprised by, you know, oh yeah, we also like started getting radio play in like Boise. Boise, Boise. Idaho. Yeah, and like North Carolina and and a few other states. So still trickling in, I guess, you know. Yeah, I actually have a question about that. Uh Colored Tongues has succeeded in finding fans across the globe. Got all of the internet. Uh Outside of North America, where has your music received the strongest reception? And what do you think it is about your music that connects with people on an international scale? I think that the UK, we've got these like, we have a lot of fans down in South and Central America, more so actually South America, but really big, okay, Brazil. Good excuse to tour South America. Oh, he, are you, are you, I'm I'm praying for like some you know wealthy benefactor out of Brazil to say, hey, I'll fund your whole tour, come down, play in Rio. Um, but uh, Peru, Brazil, and uh, I, I think a lot of a lot of our kind of fans that kind of reach out from there love the uh, all the the tapping arrangements that Graham and James do. So that kind of that intricate timing signature stuff. Um, kind of the math rocky element or the, mm-hmm. the prog rock big fans of that there we've also had like we have a, a we've had a uh, midnight island has come with like a really huge um spike in our like listeners and fans in france and i i don't i don't entirely know why my what i'm hoping is because i i hope it's that kind of i think it's that that might be that kind of dream pop element that is uh or you know that that I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not, uh, was it Kavinsky? We're, we're not like we're, stereo lab or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. We're like, we're not that, but you know, but maybe it is just that sort of like that synth element that maybe is drawing that. But anyways, France has been our kind of our biggest, like, and we also now for the first time have more, we, we have like kind of more listeners in the States now than we do in Canada, which was, uh, you know, you know, it's always, it's always nice when your top listened to city is New York city. Like that's always pretty helps cool. a lot. Yeah, right. And then uh, you know, and then and then I think there's like I think it's like one guy in Helsinki that just loves us so much and just has us on re- on repeat like nonstop. Hey, I'd love to tour Finland. Oh, in I'd the love, summer, I would, I would love to tour. I'll, I'll do winter time. Oh yeah, you're I'm from, from Ontario. you're from Ontario. I'm from Ontario. I'm, I'm a wimp. I can't. Snow just makes me irrationally angry. Yeah, and James is from Queensland, so <laughs> so he doesn't yeah. even know what snow is. He he found out he found out here, but then he's he's a seasoned. He's like drives through the mountains now on tour. Oh, okay, well he's fine. He's fine. Then. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then also like not not I don't know if this was it, but like you know we recently got asked to open for Moist, which is really cool. Which is really cool. Yeah. Sadly, show's been postponed, but um, yeah, like that was that was a big deal. So I. I chalk that up to uh, I'm I'm hoping the you know the the love and and successes of the recent release. Yeah, you know it'd be. Uh, I'm just trying to think. I can't think of any artists at the top of my head, but I I I know there's got to be some uh, some groups that would make a lot of sense for you to open to, open for. 
I think, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I know I mentioned off like before, but I, I think we, I think we could open for Sam Fender. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we'd be a good fit for that Sam Fender. That would be a great fit for yeah. Sam Fender. So Live Nation, if you're listening, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll happily open for Sam Fender. Uh, you know, thanks for considering. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think we're just, we, you know, you can dance to color tongues. I, you know, I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of like optimistic without being like frustratingly happy, you know? Yeah. I think cause James at the very least is able to throw some melancholy in there. Oh yeah. Kind of tempers a bit of it. I think so. I, th- I think, I think we ride a good emotional wave, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. One thing that stands out uh, to me is that Color Tongues is a fairly diverse crew of guys in terms of age, musical influence, and as we've mentioned in the case of your vocalist James Chalice, country of origin. What are the dynamics like within the band, and how do your differences strengthen you as a unit? I think we, uh, you know, I think me and you sort of did touch a, a little bit upon this earlier when it comes to like how, you know, a band is sort of a small business whose product is also like an artistic. Yeah, like before we started recording. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think all of us in the band are on varying, very, kind of interact with the band in varying degrees of that sort of, of those two dimensions of like business and, and creativity and art. So like, I think what, what a lot of people who are not in bands or, you know, like who, who love music, but don't necessarily, are not involved in the industry or in, you know, the, the, artistry of it is that there's so much that goes into a band you have you know everything from obviously songwriting uh song you know yeah so songwriting and then you know performing rehearsal just not just for your songs but just to keep your skills sharp then there's you know your branding there's your social media uh which is you know I think so many people feel like it's the bane of their existence, but it's becoming like, I mean, it's very evil and it's a hot topic right now too. It's like, you know, artists that are saying like, you know, I, you know, pissed off that their labels are saying, we're not going to drop this unless you, you know, make this a viral TikTok moment first. And like, no one gets into, no one gets into music for that, for that, you know, to, to make a viral TikTok moment. But anyways, I digress. But then there's things like, you know, booking shows, because that doesn't just, especially when you're kind of a DIY band or starting off, or even when you've, when you've, you're not starting off anymore, but you've just been doing it for a while, you're still booking your own shows. You're still seeking out um, your openers. You're still negotiating, um, you know, your payouts. You're still planning your tours. You're renting your vehicles. You're booking your hotels. Like it, it's, 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 a, it's an enterprise is what it is. And if you don't have anyone working for you, you're working for yourself, right? So the band, uh, like Color Tongues, there's some of us that are, you know, pretty heavy on the business side of things. And some of us that are heavier on like the principal creative songwriting process. And so in that, in, in a, you know, so James is definitely our kind of primary songwriter. James comes with an idea, um, you know, and usually has sort of a flushed out idea of lyrics and then brings it to the stage for the four of us to workshop and play around with. And then over time, you know, it, it, we, we, we go through different iterations of it and then land on something we like, we'll play it, and then we'll probably modify it a little bit. All of us bring something to the table to the point where I have a hard time seeing how the band would actually function without all the members involved, you know? And that's not just who brings what to the table, but it's about like you know, it's like a family has all these different pieces to it that make it a family. And whether that's just like, you know, like the carefree, fun-loving that is Dan Laverne, like the bass player, you know, versus the, you know, like James is, you know, we need James because James kind of keeps us on task, especially when it comes to like staying sharp and practicing. You know, um, we need Graham to like, kind of like remind us that we're, that we, we don't all have to be like super adult about everything all the time, you know? Uh, and we need me to like, I don't know, make sure we get paid, <laughs> you know, at the, at, the, at the end of the show. But, uh, you know, we're all, we're all essential to what the band is. And that's why, like, I don't feel like I'm a drummer in this band. You know, I feel like I am this band. And I also feel like Graham is this band, Dan is this band, and James is this band. So, you know, it, it is, it's more of a family to me than I've ever experienced in a band. And I do think we all feel that way. And I think that's why we're still kind of here after, you know, five or six years of kind of doing this. 
Yeah, and on that, in what ways have you grown as a group during that time period? Well, you know, we uh, when we first started out, things were not as serious in that, you know, we, we hadn't had as much opportunity yet and we hadn't had as much challenges or uh, the stakes hadn't been as high. As we've kind of gone forward, we've gone through some pretty traumatic events together. No, nothing more than like our, when we kind of were in that, we were in a car accident on tour and it was, it was, it was bad. It was first day of tour. It was in winter. It was a head on collision. Um, everyone was, was pretty much okay, like in the immediate sense, but, um, you know, we were, none of us were good. So we, we went, we made it to that show that night and we continued the tour, but like, uh, it, it, it really challenged us because we were still like, none of us had time to sit and process what had happened here. Um, you know, two of us were injured, not to the point where we couldn't continue, but you know, in my case, it got really, really bad after we returned. And so, and we had some, you know, um, like kind of some blowouts on the, on the road there. Um, and a lot of it was coming from this place of like serious trauma that we just gone through but not able to like sit and process it because we kind of had to, you know, wake up in, in Kelowna and then hit the road to Banff uh, and then go to Banff and then hit the road to Calgary. So, you know, we, uh, things got very tense between us. Um, and that though, coming out of that, we were able to recognize what was actually happening here. Like we'd kind of just been through this and we were able to patch things up in a real healthy way that kind of made things stronger, right? Because when you, it it doesn't matter how, you know, what kind of relationship you're in, relationships are going to have to get tested by, you know, things, people not seeing eye to eye, uh, people having disagreements. um, And, and it's how you get through that. And whether that will decay the relationship or will reinforce it. And I think for us, you know, luckily we've actually, we, we, mo- we usually see eye to eye, but even when we don't, we respect each other and we love each other. And we also make decisions that are not just for the band. We make decisions that are for us too, as people in the band. All right. So at one point, okay, there was this moment where, um, like, this is, this is something that like kind of James did for me. So... I had, in, in, you know, previously had some like, you know, I'd never um, say practiced to a click track before in preparation for recording, right? So I, you know, so, so like, I think in some of our early recording uh, history, yeah, I wasn't coming in immediately ready just to like, you know, be right on, on track, right? And so at one point, someone kind of voiced his concern and was like, said to James sort of as an aside, this person wasn't in the band, by the way. It's like, James, you know, like, I know you love Dave, but, you know, uh, you might want to, you know, just bring in like a studio drummer, you know, maybe bring in a studio drummer, just that they can just like attack it, you know, get, you know, one take, they're done. And like, let's just do that. And James was like, absolutely not. It's not happening. Like Dave is going to be on this, like Dave is going to be on this track. And so what James did was James, you know, he didn't want to freak me out, right? He didn't want to like tell me like, hey, uh, so, you know, some people might be worried. You might not be able to do this. So James instead just sort of like kind of coached me. He's like, okay, Dave, you know, I, I know you can do this, but like, you know, what do you think about like practicing to the, tr- this, you know, a click track and just like being on it? And he kind of like worked with me almost without me knowing it just to make sure that I was going to like just really, really deliver. And this whole thing was kind of coming from this place where like James was not going to not have me on the record, uh, you know, or like not on, 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 on the track. So I tried to be kind of cryptic in that. So as an aside, did that make sense? The story I just told you? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, but actually that's a good story because that's James standing up for you. And yeah, you also like being able to give you the encouragement to play in such a way that you didn't have as much experience ex- in. Ex- and, and honestly, and that's, that's, that's the story here. And James pushed me, you know, uh, you know, he wanted to, yeah, James pushed me, but also wanted to make sure that, you know, I was like, James was never going to not let me be on that, on that, you know, on, on the studio versions. Right. So yeah, James kind of pushed for me, stood up for me. And honestly, like 
the, the person that kind of made the suggestion, it was no slight against me. They, the person was, was strictly speaking like, how do we make the best, how do we make the best musical product available given that, you know, Dave does not have the most experience playing to a click. And instead, and so James's mind went to, instead of saying, oh, you're, you know, maybe yeah, let's, let's, let's hire like a professional studio musician who can do it. James went to, let's get Dave there so that we can all do this together, you know? So, and James is, James does that. James like has pushed all of us. Um, like I remember he pushed, you know, he pushed Graham earlier on, uh, to, to like really get those, like that, that kind of signature color tongues, color tongues, dual tapping arrangements down. Yeah, so like James is like the creative leader of the band, you know? We kind of started the conversation talking about your experience uh, as a nurse and getting out of the, the pandemic. I uh, got two ca- questions related to that, and I want to kind of keep it at two because the pandemic, for the most part, feels like it's in the rearview mirror, finally. Uh, outside of the band, you are a clinical nurse leader of geriatric medicine, and you were deployed to one of the first... COVID-19 outbreaks at the beginning of the pandemic. How did music and keeping the band going help you get through very challenging times over the past two years? Well, it it always served as, you know, uh, I mean, being in healthcare, you know, in in non-pandemic good times is always, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Um, so music, of course, has always been an outlet for me. Um, it's always also been, you know, I have, I have my nursing family, you know, I have my biological family and then I have my band family. So it, it, it allows me to leave at home, you know, a lot of the traumas of the day and just focus on something kind of positive, creative and very future oriented. So music, having the music in my life is, is, you know, instrumental to my own kind of mental health you know, stabilization and just keeping my, keeping myself level-headed during this whole thing. Um, but it also gave me something to look forward to. Like, so yeah, going into the first, the, the first COVID outbreak in like a long-term care facility in Canada is back in March, 2020. You know, it, it, it thing, and things were really, really bad in the beginning here, because this is, this is before, uh, well before we had vaccines, but even well before we had, um, you know, medicine kind of developed some, some basic treatment courses that could actually at least like lower their chances of death. We, we weren't even sure of what was going on with that yet. So a lot of people died when I was, was there. And, um, and, and to be fair, like at this point, the, the band, those first six months, there was no music. We, we weren't getting together. No one was seeing each other. I think it wasn't until, I forget when, but it was, you know, let's say six months into the pandemic, we finally, I, I, it, we were always in, in lockstep with whatever BC's provincial guidance was allowing. And I think it was once we were allowed to see upwards of, say, 10 people, like you had your bubble. Whenever that was, we, we created, we included our little four piece as, the, as a, a bubble so we could actually start to see each other again. So in the very beginning of the pandemic, um, unfortunately, music gave no reprieve because we, I, we had, I, it was, it was, everything was pretty terrible and uh, uh, scary and uncertain, and we didn't see each other. We talked, but uh, we were, I think we were all just fo- so focused on like what, what, what's the world now. Six months into it, we finally got together and got to play together again, and that's where it, it, it became clear that there, there was going to eventually be an end to the. To the pandemic, there was eventually going to be a return to live music, um, and I think the fact that you know the government, you know, and like I think you know Music BC and they they were they were offering these sort of uh, ways to keep the music industry alive even while things weren't available, and so I think seeing that there were all these programs going on, not just for um, you know creators, but also for you know for like the, the labels and for the venues, like there were these subsistence packages coming to like keep things afloat that's what let me know that okay there there is going to be a music industry still you know times are pretty bad right now but we can actually look forward to the future and that's where so my nursing life was what's happening right now my music life was what can we look forward to on the other end of this and so that's why and how we decided to this is when we're going to record our album 
we can't perform right now. We have, but we can, we can, we can rehearse and we can write. And eventually once, you know, we were legally allowed to, we can go and record. And so that's what the focus was. And that was like, that was huge because then that also, this, the quiet of the pandemic in many ways also gave us time to plan because, um, you know, and then plan on like a big thing, like an album release, which, you know, it's harder to do when you're also playing shows all the time. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's always the short-term plans and long-term plans. We could only focus on long-term plans. I'm not saying I, yeah. So it, it was, it, it, I think something that was important for me to focus on in the pandemic was, I mean, as, as hard as it was to accept that this is what the world is right now, and this is what our lives are right now, it was, I found it important to get to that point of accepting it, not to, not to acquiesce to it, not to resign yourself to say, oh, this is life now, it's the worst, but accept the world you're in and then work towards the world you want to get back to. One thing that you touched on was the fact that the local government was able to provide programs and funding to creators and venues and labels to help keep them alive throughout the pandemic. And one of the things that they did was they would provide grants for live stream shows. And I understand it might not be the exactly the same sort of program, but Color Tongues and your vocalist James played a number of live stream shows. Because again, we're talking about, we're, we're, we are kind of, it feels like a post-pandemic uh, world right now. I kind of wanted to gauge what your experience was like playing those types of performances and what do you think the future holds for live stream shows because zoom and remote employment for example have not gone away i actually work for a remote employer outside of music stuff so um my full and honest opinion is that um i don't oh so live streaming and the sort of that live stream yeah like your experience doing it experience doing it was it it was it was so wonderful to be able to do something um i i have no I'd be quite happy to never do another live stream again for as long as I live. It definitely just could not replicate what, you know, there are some uh, mediums that are perfectly suitable for, you know, that, for that experience of the live stream. Live music, I just don't, you know, I think we did what we had to do. But um, I, I, to be honest with you, I I remember uh, Pearl Jam, like a band that I love, love Pearl Jam. They were doing a live stream and I had no interest in watching it. You know, I was like, I'd, I'd rather YouTube, uh, I'd rather YouTube an old concert that was like professionally filmed, like, you know, it, like Pink Pop <laughs> or, so, or something, you know, like one of these like bigger festivals and like watch that performance. Um, it At just, least there's a crowd. It's, it just, it just, yeah. And I think, and, and, and to your point about like, you know, remote employment, I think remote employment is like, one of the best things that came out of this pandemic. And I think I that agree. I think that can and should continue because guess what? Yeah, well, that is something, is it right? Because that is something that it, it, it makes sense for that. Businesses are saving so much money on right? office space, so much. And you also know? just with certain lines of work, there's, you know, I, I, I am more of a fan of hybrid, like giving people the option to work in an office if they so choose to. Because it's good for like building camaraderie and collaborating with coworkers, yeah. but not like you have to go to a space to work here for it, certain lines of work. It makes you know if there's if there's a it, to your to your point. I I also do support a hybrid model. Um, I think that uh, you know I see a value in even if your jobs can perfectly be done kind of solo on your own in a different you know different place. Sure, I make sense to come together periodically um, for whatever reason, but um, you know, let people live their lives. You know, it's nice having more time in my day, right? But for music, uh, yeah, um, I don't know if I've met anyone that was like, you know, I could really go for a good, I could really go for a good live stream performance right now. You know, I just, <laughs> just want to, you know, I don't know, I don't want to be there. I just want to, just want to sit back and just you know, get a questionable audio quality video content coming out of me through my computer. I'll admit the only one I watched that, um, and part of it was just the presentation was, I think uh, Devin Townsend did one 
And he's got, you know, he's got money to spend on pr- production value. And what he did was like all the artists were in different cities across Canada, yeah. which is really cool. But they filmed it in such a way where they had this huge green screen where it looked like they were on like these floating like cog pieces in space. So it looked really cool on a presentation yeah. scale, but it basically just looked like a big, long multi-song music video. And like, and like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think, okay, I think it was amazing that you know, these funding opportunities were given to artists to do these live streams. I think it was a way for artists to continue to feel relevant and like they could still do something and contribute to, you know, the the zeitgeist. And I think it was great for people to have something to like experience and like, you know, be part of like, it was so instrumental of keeping community alive during the pandemic. So no, I think live streaming was an incredible thing that happened. I and I and I think that, you know, if anything happens again, where we need to like, you know, kind of hunker down again, I think live streaming can and should come back uh, and to, to, to kind of buffer us until we can kind of emerge again. Um, but I think it's like when the, when the going's good, let's, let's go out and be live. Speaking of which, after playing BC and Alberta a number of times pre-pandemic, Color Tongues was finally able to venture out east and play Ontario just a couple months ago. How did it feel to be back on the road again? Felt amazing. James, it felt amazing. So I personally live for the touring and performing. Like I love moving to different venues in different cities, like day to day. I love the excitement of, especially like coming into a new town for the first time uh, and meeting new fans. It's amazing. Like you never think that you're going to meet someone in like a small town in Ontario and they're like actually know your band and they've been following you and they, they love your stuff. Because we're still a pretty like we're still an indie in, an indie band, um, even like just it's 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 because it's like a working vacation, but you're not really working. You're just doing what you you're doing what you love to do. So, um, it 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 was the best. Like that's why that's why I'm in music is for that performing and touring and exploring experience. And what was so cool about Ontario is because I'm from Ontario. And so I got to go for the first time to, you know, cities and towns that I, you know, grew up. Like we went to Guelph, Ontario, which is where I went to university. Um, and, and I got to go to, to the town where like, or and like to these, to this, you know, venues where like I used to go see live music and now I'm on the stage doing it. Uh, I got to go to like Kingston, Ontario, you know, like home of the tragically hip. And we actually put on uh what do we play? We did um we did we did our a cover of Little Bones that night, like to 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 like the, the Kingston audience, which was amazing. Um and then yeah, we got to play Toronto. Like I've wanted to play Toronto with this band since I joined this band. And we finally got to go do that. It's basically like the place to play in Canada, really. Toronto is just like it's uh, Toronto's amazing. Like Toronto's incredible. Like it was Dan and James's both first time being in Toronto. And they were just like, they're blown away by it. Like Dan, Dan, especially like I remember Dan remarked, he's like, he's like, I know Toronto was bigger than Vancouver, but I didn't realize it was like on like an order of magnitude larger. It's a capital C city. It's, it's like the New York of Canada, essentially. Yeah, it's and, and it's and there's just so much life in that city. And, you know, I and the other thing, too, we noticed, which is really like interesting about all the Ontario towns we played in, there was always really good sound. Even if it was like a tiny, like a small venue, like the sound was good. And, and everyone that was there knew how to run the sound. Oh, beauty. Which like, because being on tour, like we've, like our longest tour was, I forget how many shows we played, but it was something like, it was something pretty stupid, like 17 shows in 19 days. Oof. Like it was pretty, that was like our longest tour. And we would, you know, and we would go to some places where like, you know, we'd show up and, you know, show us the, you know, the soundboard and. And then they'd be like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, the house that the house PA isn't like set up to the soundboard. And we're like, well, then what, what do you do? And they're like, oh, we have no idea. Do you know how to work this board? And we're like, that's kind of ridiculous. They'd have to like call someone in on their day off to come do it. So we had we had a, a lot of experiences like that. But Ontario, everyone knew what they were doing. It was pretty great, very professional and very gracious, too. I mean, BC is also like we've had the reason we keep going back out on tour is because we love it so much. But yeah, that's um. You know, back to our Rolling Stones and Beatles, uh, you know, uh, analogy. I'm, I'm, a rolling, I'm a Rolling Stone. I want to be out touring and playing and performing. Um, that's, 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 where, that's where my love of music comes, you know? You touched on a couple, but what were some, you know, big highlights from that Ontario tour? 
Uh, I mean, my mom got to see us. That was pretty, that was pretty huge. <laughs> I'm half kidding, but I'm also pretty serious. Um, I think, I, I think just playing, okay, so like in Toronto, we played at Supermarket in, in Kensington. And I think the, just sort of playing to like a full venue of brand new faces. Like, cause these are, you know, every show we played in Ontario, no one in the audience had ever seen us play before. So in BC, right, we've sort of, we've, we've gone and played, you know, cities and towns many times. So we kind of like, we've been building up kind of like, you know, a bit of a presence sure, like, you know, some, some, you know, audience members that come and like, you know, they, they know when we're coming and they'll come see us. But these people have also seen us kind of evolve, right? They've been watching this play for the last six years. Every show in Ontario, it's uh, everyone in the audience has never seen us play before. They might know who we are and they've seen videos and like listen to our album, but they've never seen us play. And so playing every night to, you know, varying degrees of fullness, but some nights like pretty packed rooms of people that have never seen us play before. And this is their first experience is color tongues like year six. And it, they were like going fucking nuts. And that's like, that's something. Um, and, and I think that this was the first tour where we got to experience that because this was like brand new territory. You know, people have an idea that when you go on tour, you're like, it's to like a full house. That's not the case. Touring is rough. You like, especially that first tour. First tour to a new a new area you've never been before, especially when you're fully when you're like DIY like us. Like you don't you don't know what's how the night's gonna go. And when it and so when it goes fucking great five times in a row, like it did in Ontario, like that's something. You know? The 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 other shoe never dropped. Let's put it that way. Which is so validating. Just like all the unpaid work that you put in to a project like this. Yeah. Yeah, actually. And you know what? Validating. That's the word for it. It was a very validating experience, you know? It's also a, a good sign because that means you can go back to Ontario and you got you got a bit of a following there. James, so. already planning it. There you go. Already planning it. We were actually, I mean, we were very graciously accepted to North by Northeast, but we had to pass because, um, you know, uh, Graham is, uh, is off in Europe right now. But that that uh, but yeah we would have gone back if we could have but uh, yeah next year next year north by northeast we'll be here next year totally but on that note what else do you have planned to promote Midnight Island? Well I think uh, so we we did like you know our big push kind of came in like in that first few weeks right um, you know so for promoting it we kind of we're actually we are kind of at the tail end of that so to speak. I shouldn't say the tail end, but like, you know, we, we've got the video out. The we, album's already out. The, the, the album's out. And I think our, our publicist had this really great um, word of advice one day when like deciding on when you want to release your album is uh, she said, you know, an album is, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was when an album is released, that's when it dies. Not, and not to be, it's, it's, a very, it's a realistic appraisal of saying that like you have control over what you're going to do until the album's released. When the album is actually out, then it's here's here's the here's the moment. It's in the hands of the market. It's in the hands of the market, and also it's uh, you know something else that we learned over the years is that you know new music is is only new for a pretty a pretty slim window of time. So we uh feel we are very you know we're like over the moon and thrilled and beyond expectations about what what what's happened with the album in terms of like what we're doing next for it. It's just kind of out there now, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's performing well. Um, I'm going to be, we'll be doing follow-ups with, uh, like non-commercial, um, radio stations in Canada and the States. And then, uh, then it's kind of on to the next, you know, the next thing, next record, next tour. That's right. Cause we're back in the, back in the swing of it. We're back in the swing of it. And the other thing too, is like, you know, we've, <sighs> another thing that is I've, I've learned and have been surprised about over the last couple of years is like, you know. Uh, sometimes all right so for example um i forget if i was looking at like um su submitting yourself for like the junos let's say for juno awards and I, for I forget what it was but like on the website it says like you know if you're if your music's out there you know it, it's gonna get it'll it'll get if if, if you're doing the work it, the music will get found you know 
someone will find it, something will happen with it. You know, I'm not saying that like just just don't do anything and the universe will deliver you things. But yeah, that doesn't work. But a lot of don't our, do that. But no, it, it doesn't at all. But I guess my point is like you know, like when Live Nation reached out to us to you know to open for Moist. We did not solicit to Live Nation to say, hey, Live Nation, like, let, let us open for Moist. It, you know, our music's out there. You know, we have enough of a web presence now and enough of, like, a, a presence, period, that Live Nation, you know, looked at us and said, you know what? Yeah, let's see if these guys want to open for Moist. So sometimes, like, the opportunities, you've worked for them and you've done the work, but then they, they come to you, if that makes sense. Yeah, like even if you didn't plan it, which is and those that's just uh, those serendipitous sort of things. And we also like we've and we've had you know there's been moments in previous you know um, like think a year and a half ago where you know we've been reached out to by labels, let's say, and we've had discussions. Nothing's gone anywhere, but you know that doesn't mean it won't. Uh, things things are always happening that I that we don't even know about for a while, you know? Like I I don't I have no idea who listened to the album in the last two weeks and was like, you know, we should really reach out to those guys and see if they want to, you know, sign with Universal. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know until they reach out. It's an exciting, exciting position to be in, not knowing well, planning for what you are working on, but also like not knowing what the future holds in a in a positive way. Yeah, totally. And that's uh that's uh, yeah. Surprised at every step of the way. Of course you know, very happy for you guys uh, coming out swinging after, you know, the last two pretty rough lean years for everybody, thanks. And especially in the music scene. Yeah, thanks, dude. <laughs> what uh, what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the podcast for a future episode? I do want to actually plug a couple of our openers from Ontario. Okay, so Excuse Me out of Guelph were incredible. Um, and The Empties out of Kingston were fantastic. And you know what? Our openers, that the guys that opened for us at the Fox, Farhaven, they were rad. Great group of people, you know? And that's how we, our openers, like good musically, but also like good people. Like we, you know, we hate working with assholes. So, you know, Farhaven. Also, I want to give like a ever loving shout out to um, Lunchtime Band. Oh, Lunchtime Band. Yeah. We're friends with those guys. You those should guys have, are fun. You, you should have Lunchtime on. Yeah. Oh, I know. They love it. Those guys are fun. Oh, you've lunchtime's never been on this show before. No, not oh yet. Oh my god, you gotta get you gotta get those guys on. Yeah, it should be an easy ask. You again, gotta get those guys on. David Zaband are are uh, friends with those guys. Like we share a jam space with them. So seriously, yeah. Um, what about Dear Rouge? Not yet. I thought they're f- no, they're from Alberta. Love to have them on. No, but they live here. Oh, they live here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can bend the rules for that. <laughs> <laughs> they live. I'm I'm pretty sure they live here. Yeah. They, well, I they don't they certainly don't live in Red Deer anymore. Anyways, that's what I got for you. Yeah, that's no, what, that's good. Say. How can listeners keep up with what you're up to and check out your music? Well, first and foremost, you need to follow us on Instagram, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, and uh, you know Facebook. We're you know at Color Tongues. Um, that's definitely the best way to keep in, t- in touch with us. We're pretty, you know, frequent posters. We'll keep you up to date on what's going on. Um, again, we've got some pretty fun surprises coming up. But yeah, I think just, just you know, socials. Instagrams are like, Instagram and Facebook are our preferred. So just keep tabs. Yeah. And say hello. We love, we love hearing from people. Like we want people to like, ask us like mundane questions. Like if you, if you email or if you like, yeah, message us on Instagram and just ask something like really dumb, like how do you like your eggs cooked in the morning? I'm going to be all over that. And you'll get like a paragraph explanation and then, and then we'll be breakfast buddies. It'll be the best. Okay. Just like, yeah, reach, reach out to us. Heard that folks. Send all your breakfast questions to Dave. Yeah. Drive or, them to Dave at color time. They don't even have to be questions. They can just be comments. They can be like, you know, general ponderings and, you know, philosophizations about breakfast, whatever you got. I'm, I'm living for it. If you want to talk about your existential crisis, that was, Dave. That was almost too too good to be impromptu, James. <laughs> Dad jokes brought to you by James. And yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll call it there. All right, man. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. You can keep up with everything we're up to on Facebook at Pacific Sound Radio, Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio, Pacific Sound Media on YouTube, PacificSoundRadio.com, and wherever you stream your podcasts. If you like the show, there are a few different ways you can support it. You can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. 
You can share this podcast on your social media, and you can recommend the show in person to your friends, family, and coworkers. If you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show, let us know. Fill out the form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at gmail.com. We're going to play this one out with one more song from Color Tongues. Their new album, Midnight Island, is available now. This is Ash Grove.